Hello, this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and welcome to Palliative Care Chat, the podcast brought to you by the online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program at the University of Maryland. I am so excited about our guest today. I am delighted to say we have Barbara Carnes with us, who is an RN, and you may not know her by her name, but I can tell you she is the little blue book lady. So in other words, uh, Ms. Carnes has authored the book, Gone From My Sight, that so many of us are familiar with in hospice care. Welcome, Ms. Carnes. How are you today? I am good. Thank you for talking with me today. And thank you so much for joining us. So I've certainly known of your books my entire career. Uh, when was the Little Blue Book published? I wrote that in 1985. Okay. Um, I, I was a, a hospice nurse. Uh-huh. And hospice was different than it is today in mm-hmm. that we we started seeing pa- we had patients five six months uh, one of my favorite patients I had for two years um, wow. so uh, but our average length of stay was several months and so we were with them on a consistent basis, mm-hmm. number one. And number two, our goal was to be with that patient and family at the moment of death. Mm-hmm. And so I was with literally hundreds of people over the, the years um, at, before they died and at the moment of death. Mm-hmm. And one night... I was on um, a dying call. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting with the family. Mom's in, in the bedroom, and the, we're all in the living room, and I'm explaining to the family what mom's doing. I'm mm-hmm. trying to neutralize the fear that everyone brings to the bedside when someone's dying. And as I'm telling them what mom's doing so that they understand she's doing a good job and that nothing bad is happening, mm-hmm. I notice one of the daughters is taking notes. And I thought, oh, no, you know, no. this is, is, is not the way it should go. And so that weekend, I sat down as before computers with a, a yellow legal pad, uh-huh. and I wrote out what I wanted my families to know uh-huh. about the dying process. And within um, months that became the Little Blue Book. Wow. So what did you hope to accomplish with that? What was your goal in writing all that down? What, why did you want your families to understand the dying process? And do you, I know, I, because I've read it a million times, you talk about the physical signs and symptoms, months out, weeks out, days out, and so forth. So what was your goal with this? My goal was to teach the families that nothing bad was happening. Because we don't know, most people don't know what it's like to die. And we're, we're such a fix-it mentality with our medical system um, that our instinct is if someone's dying, then, then something bad is happening mm-hmm. and it's a failure. So what I wanted to do was get people and still want people to understand that there is a process 
to dying from disease or old age. I want them to really understand there's only two ways to die, and that's fast, getting hit by a truck or a heart attack, mm-hmm. or, um, or gradually, and that's disease or old age. Mm-hmm. And a gradual death has a process to it. If it mm-hmm. didn't have a process, if it just happened, it would be fast death. Mm-hmm. So I outline the process so that people can understand that their loved one is doing what is a normal, natural progression, that, that mm-hmm. this is not pathological, that mm-hmm. mom is doing what she's supposed to be doing, and she's doing a good job at it. Wow. And right there, you've neut- arrive or whoever has neutralized the fear mm-hmm. that everyone brings to the bedside. So you're trying to normalize the experience, yes? A- absolutely. It says, hey, she's doing what, it's good. All yeah. is good. It's very, very sad, but nothing. But it isn't bad. Yeah. Do you ever anticipate, and I would think that they would, staff would use this as a teaching tool to really drill down and have those conversations about the use of artificial hydration and nutrition? I hope they do. I mean, my whole career has been about education. It's been to educate the community, the medical professionals as well, on the norm, the normalness mm-hmm. of dying from disease or old age. Dying is not a medical event. It is a social, communal event. Mm-hmm. And we have medicalized dying, and my goal is through education – to show that um, you don't need a doctor, you don't need a nurse at the bedside, you need someone who understands the normal, natural dying process and mm-hmm. can guide that family and the person through it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I want to share one amusing, but I'm sure to this family, this is sad, a comment about the Little Blue Book. I remember years ago I was in hospice team meeting and we would always start off the meeting by talking about the death of the people who had died since our previous team meeting and the bereavement specialist attended for that portion of team. And when we were discussing one family, the nurse said, I'm a little concerned about this family because when the patient died, the first thing the wife said is, he couldn't die now, he can't die now. We were only on page six of the little blue book. So what do you think about that? I Actually, that makes me smile and it makes me feel good because, number one, the family had the book. Mm-hmm. They were reading the book and often I get, I wish I had read it sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they had the support um, in getting through this experience. And what what we all know is that everyone's going to die in their own unique way and in their own time and according to their personality. The blue book is just guidelines. Some people are going to do all of it, everything in there. Some people are going to do none of it, Mm -hmm. but it is a guideline. And I think I say that even in the beginning of the book. I haven't read it for a while, but I think it's in there somewhere. I'm sure it is. This is just a guide. No guarantees, right? Right. (laughs) Right. So tell me, how did you come up with this title, Gone From My Sight? What's that all about? Oh, oh, that 
I um, had a, the wife of a patient that I had. She and I became very good friends. And part of our bereavement follow-up, of course, is, is staying in touch for a while. Um, I had been in a, in a junk store, really, um, and found a frame of the poem uh, that's at the back of Gone From My Sight. Mm-hmm. And the poem was in this frame, and I thought, oh, that is a beautiful, beautiful uh, poem. Um, so I bought, I bought the frame, and when I was putting together the booklet, I put that at the end of the book. So Betty and I were out to lunch, and I showed her um, the book that I was in the process of writing and wanted her input, having gone through the experience with her husband. And Mm -hmm. I wanted someone who'd walked the walk to tell me what she thought about the book and if she thought it would be helpful. So we're talking, and it had no title. And she said, well, why don't you call it Gone From My Sight because this poem is so powerful. So what was the poem about? What was The poem is at the, in the back of Gone From My Sight, mm-hmm. which is the Henry Van Dyke poem uh-huh. about the ship um, that is sailing off and we're waving goodbye and you're sad, but then on the other side um, is... Um, people welcoming the ship and seeing it and excited because it's coming. Yeah, I was uh, pulling your good leg there. I remember that poem extremely well. I, I pretty much cry every time I read it. So just as the people on this shore are saying, oh, look, she's gone from my sight, on the other side they're saying, here she comes. Yes, so it's I love an it. incredibly moving poem. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to start bawling again. So um, I see that you have um, multiple resources. You're not a one-trick pony here with a little blue book. You've got a little pink book and a little green book. So uh, just for our listeners, your website is bkbooks.com. So be like Barbara K. Lake Carnes, books.com. I see you have several things here. You have one called the 11th hour, which is uh, sadly closer to what we're seeing now with our average length of stay in hospice. Um, I see a time to live, living with a life-threatening illness. That might be something of interest more to palliative care providers. Um, I like that you explored the grief arena, too. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, what I've done is I have tried to address all of the end-of-life issues. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the... I didn't intentionally, you know, 30 years ago say I'm going to create materials that address all end of life. Mm -hmm. But really, as I look back over the time frame, that's Mm -hmm. exactly what I've done. Mm -hmm. I started off with here's the signs of approaching death. And then the pink booklet is the companion, and that guides the family on what they can do. So Gone From My Sight says, here's what's happening. And the 11th hour says, here's what you can do while it's happening. Mm -hmm. Then um, in the 90s, both of my parents were diagnosed uh, with cancer of the lung. Within five months of each other, they died. I'm sorry. For 18 months before they died, I, I wanted 
to give them something. I wanted to give them some guidance. So I wrote a time to live for them on how to live the best you can within the confines that your body and disease has put you in. So that's where that came from. And then I was getting, oh, I get letters from people all over the world daily. And what I would often hear is, mom died a month ago or a week ago, and I want five gone from my side. And I thought, wait a minute, you know, you need something on grief. Yeah. And so I wrote My Friend I Care as a guideline um, in the grieving process so people can understand um, the normal, natural process that goes with grieving. Mm-hmm. All of my work is fifth grade level, short, uh-huh. simple, direct, um, I've written one on dementia now because hospice is taking on more and more people that have dementia, mm-hmm. and dementia doesn't play by the rules. No, um, it does not. It doesn't, and so all of the signs of approaching death don't apply right. to dementia until they're not eating, right. because if you don't eat, you don't live, and so... Sure. Families need, I felt, needed that guideline. Sure. And I see that uh, I see a picture of a cell phone next to most of your publications. So apparently there's uh, an electronic version that you can have on your device as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. And how do you envision that being used? you see that as more staff using it or individual family members buying it? Or how do you see that being operationalized? Generally, it's individuals. It's it's people who don't even want to wait till the mail system can get the hard copy to them. Mm-hmm. We get calls saying, you know, um, mom's dying, and we have this book, but I want my sister in Ohio to read this. Um, mm-hmm. And so they'll get the electronic versions. Oh, that's wonderful. Can we talk for a moment about your most recent project, the New Rules for End-of-Life Care? It's a 25-minute film. Tell me about that. What's it uh, about, and how would you envision individuals or a hospice program using this movie? All right. What Taking care of someone at end-of-life is different than taking care of someone who's going to get better. Mm-hmm. We know that. We in the industry know that. But families don't know that. And because they don't know it, they're judging our work on how people get better unless we teach them otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I created new rules. There are new rules for end-of-life care, and mm-hmm. that's what we're teaching. Mm-hmm. It is... Um, it addresses um, all of the areas, pain management, uh, symptom control, it, uh, the dying process so that people can understand that normal, natural dying process. Mm-hmm. It touches a little bit on grief. Um, and it's done, again, fifth grade level, no medical ease. How it is used, is, is several ways. You can use it as an education tool um, in the community. 
Um, I have deaf cafes who have who have shown it and then have discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, church groups uh, show it and dis- bring in a hospice person and discuss it. Senior citizen uh, communities show it and discuss it. And then I have a lot of hospices that buy it and give it to their the nursing facilities that mm-hmm. they're working with okay. so that they can educate the nursing facility staff mm-hmm. on end of life. And then and this surprised me. I I didn't expect it, but I love it. And that is I have a lot of hospices that have each of their nurses have a copy of it. It's 25 minutes long, so mm-hmm. it's very short. Mm-hmm. And the nurses on about the second home visit mm-hmm. sit down with the family and they watch it together. Mm-hmm. And then they discuss it. And what this, this does is, aside from consistently educating the family mm-hmm. because often one nurse teaches one thing and another teach you know we all have our styles well this makes consistent teaching and addresses that part of the medicare compliance under quality assurance that mm-hmm. says are you consistently teaching your families mm-hmm. so i see the the new rules for end of life care dvd kit it's very reasonably priced. What comes in the kit besides just the DVD itself? You get a copy of Gone from My Sight and The Eleventh Hour. I because see. in my mind, those two booklets mm-hmm. um, are what, ev- what can guide every family. Mm-hmm. And today, most families are alone at the moment of death. Right. And so if they have both of those ahead of time, Eleventh Hour um, – says it's okay to get in bed with your loved one. It's okay to have the dog on the bed. Um, you know, it gives them ideas mm-hmm. of, of singing, talking, using this time wisely mm-hmm. instead of standing there watching and being absolutely terrified. Sure. So you and I as, as educators, Barbara, we both know that not everybody learns the same way. Some are visual learners, some are auditory is the movie, along with the publication, your approach to trying to reach as many learners as possible? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you're, you're so right. And, and um, I have found that having the, the concrete book, and it's, you know, this short, short, booklets and all of them are that they're going to reread and reread and reread. Mm-hmm. It's three o'clock in the morning when mom's breathing funny that mm-hmm. they get that book and go, oh yeah, that's what she's supposed to be doing. It's right here yeah. on page 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it, in a way um, it, it's a cost-effective way to help the hospice um, triage patient and fam- well, family primarily concerns, and it could save an emergency visit from a nurse in the middle of the night simply by having this kind of a resource available. Absolutely. You know, if, if you're on call and you get a, a call and you try 
to tell the family over the phone that everything's okay and you don't go out, mm-hmm. then you're going to wake up at 7 in the morning and you're going to hear that they went to the ER. Right. Um, the calls are not about really what's happening. The calls are about I'm scared and I need reassurance. Mm -hmm. And so having gone from my site and the 11th hour and the dementia booklet, when dementia is part of the deal, when they have those resources in their hands, then they may not have to pick up the phone and Mm -hmm. call because they neutralize the fear that sure. mom's doing something she's not supposed to be doing. I think that would be a good research project, Barbara. What do you think? It would be. You should look be. at that. Well, I'd like to end with what could be possibly one of my favorite publications that you just came out with. Did you know that there is both a national and an international veterinary palliative care association, which I find very interesting. One of the uh, We have two veterinarians who do palliative care in our master's program, and it's, uh, they're a delight to have in our program. But your latest publication is A Place in My Heart When Our Pets Die. I have a 17-year-old toy poodle who is blind and deaf and has diabetes and dementia, and I am scared to death. Is he suffering? And I keep asking and asking and asking the vet because I don't want that day to come. So tell me a little bit about this publication. Well, I am also an animal person, and I, over the years, have thought um, that there are similarities between animal pets, animals dying, and humans dying. And if you think about it, we're all animals, humans and our, our dogs, cats. They're, we're all animals. And so animals... Um, and I, I'm hesitating using that word since we are also animals. So I will say pets, but apply that to the mm-hmm. animal kingdom. Um, they die in a similar way to how humans die, but people don't know that. And it used to be there was barn cats and working dogs, and now our animals have come more into our lives and they have become our children uh, in many ways. And so dealing with their approaching death and their death creates the same fears and uncertainties that it creates with humans. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted as, as part of educating and about end of life, let's educate about what happens when our pets die. So in my mind, a place in my heart is the little blue book for pets. Mm-hmm. And I deal with um, not just the signs of approaching death, but the, um, having to deal with euthanasia. And, okay. and that's a huge issue with pets. Then burial. Um, I think that I also talk about how to bring in children because how we deal with the de- dying and death of our pets is with our children is going to affect how they deal with human death and dying. Mm-hmm. It's a 
great source of education for our children Mm -hmm. if we do it well. And so I talk about burial and then grief. I had a gentle, and this is what really prompted the book, was I I had gotten several um, emails from people regarding their pets, and then I got an email from a gentleman who was really having trouble um, living um, since his dog died two years earlier. And he was grieving for this dog and saying to me, nobody understands. They just say, you know, it's a dog. You know, it's it shouldn't be any big deal. Get yourself mm-hmm. together. And I and I thought, oh my goodness. So I I stress that we grieve for our animals, our pets, the same way that we grieve for anything else. Absolutely. You know, there are. There are many deaths. There are, there's the physical human death, but there's the death of a marriage, the death of a job, you know, the death of a location. There's all kinds of deaths, and we grieve the same way for all of them. Mm-hmm. And wow. so I talk about that grief and the feelings that the death of a pet is going to trigger and what we can do about it. Yeah, you're going to have to reach out to all the veterinarians in the country because I see I, this is a good handout in that venue. I I think so, too. I have sent a place in my heart to a couple of veterinarian conferences as mm-hmm. handouts in their goodie bags, and we'll mm-hmm. see what happens. Well, good luck with that. Uh, and one last question. Are any of your books translated into other languages? Uh, Gone from My Sight is translated, I think we're up to seven languages. Wow. And uh, My Friend I Care is in Spanish and French. Uh-huh. And then um, A Time to Live and The Eleventh Hour are also in Spanish That's as wonderful. well as Gone from My Sight. So, yes, they are in other languages. That's wonderful. Well, and of course, people can check this all out by going to your webpage, bkbooks.com. And uh, Barbara, I'd like to thank you so much for spending a half an hour or so with us. Um, I've always really enjoyed your products, and it's a tremendous service that you offer. So thank you so much. Um, I'd like to thank again Ms. Carnes, and thank you all for listening to Palliative Care Chat Podcast. This is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and this presentation is copyright 2018, University of Maryland. For more information on our completely online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate program in palliative care, or for permission requests regarding this podcast, please visit graduate.umaryland.edu forward slash palliative. Thank you.